Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew 23. I want to speak to you today about being a lover of the truth and about being a follower of Jesus. As we look at Jesus' word to truth hiders and prophet killers. So stand with me to read God's word. We're going to read Matthew 23, verses 27 through 36. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear outwardly righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers. You serpents... You brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your spirit that is among us. And we pray, Lord, that you would take your word and impress it upon our hearts and change us, Lord. Change us more into the people you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a time where people claim to love the truth, but they really hide from it. And claim to follow Jesus, but in fact are in league with those who killed him. We live in a time where people refuse to acknowledge the truth about themselves and God as it's revealed. A time where the word of God is routinely rejected and the Lord Jesus Christ is blatantly denied. Boldly even. We live in a time of truth-hiding, refusal to acknowledge God's truth, and profit-killing, rejection of the Word of God and the Lord Jesus. But it's nothing new. Jesus is the central figure of the Bible and of history, and who He is and what He does is of utmost importance. And we must ask in everything, what does the Bible say, and what difference does Jesus make But those were two questions that the religious leaders of Jesus' day were not asking. They were worried most about things like money and power and fame. 
They were threatened by the presence of the Holy One, God in the flesh, Jesus. And so they wanted to destroy Him. They would not admit the truth about themselves or Jesus. And they did everything they could to reject Him and God's Word. They were blinded by sin. Sin blinds us to reality. The Apostle Paul's own testimony. He said that before he came to Christ, he thought he had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus. John chapter 16, Jesus said that there was a time coming when the one who kills you will think he is serving God. That's why terrorists think they get to heaven and why atheists can die cursing God and be applauded. And that is why Jesus has such strong words for the scribes and the Pharisees and everyone like them who who enter into the same errors. Today we're looking at the final two woes. We've we've gone through this series in the midst of Matthew, in the midst of our verse-by-verse study. We've, We've taken Matthew 23 and we see these seven woes, seven words, seven woes of, of Jesus on the scribes and the Pharisees. We're looking at the final two woes today, and what we're going to see is how, how the gospel transforms our tendency to truth hide and profit kill. How Jesus transforms dead enemies of the cross into living lovers of the truth. But first, some background. Where have we been and how did we get here? It's been a long road. We're in the middle portion of a section in Matthew's Gospel that is detailing the last week of Jesus' life before the cross. By the way, Matthew's name means gift of Yahweh. Matthew's Gospel is one of God's most beautiful gifts to His church. Now Matthew wrote to encourage Jewish Christians to stand firm amidst strong opposition from their countrymen. He was writing to instruct present and future disciples, both Jew and Gentile alike. He showed very clearly that it wasn't, the gospel wasn't just for the Jews, but also for all the nations. And that they who would form a new community based on love for Jesus and obedience to Him, focused on that, Matthew has been systematically laying out the case that Jesus is the promised Messiah that the Old Testament spoke of. And so Jewish believers can rest assured in that. Pagans who come to Christ can rest secure in citizenship in heaven, in God's kingdom. But now, before the cross, Matthew records Jesus' pointing and scathing rebuke of the religious leaders of his day. His judgment on his foremost opponents, seven words, seven woes, on the scribes and the Pharisees. He is showing us how not to be hypocrites. One of the the foremost accusations against Christians is, well, they're all hypocrites. They say one thing and do another. And we all heartily agree. He's showing us how not to be hypocrites. As he is pronouncing his sentence on his foes, he says they are under God's judgment. Jesus is speaking as the end-time judge. And it was because of their unrepentant opposition to Christ. 
He, he speaks to door closers who shut people out of the kingdom of God. And sea crossers who travel far and wide to make a convert, but make them a child of hell. Oath swearers who change the rules to please themselves. Everything tithers who minor, made minor things major and left major things undone. And greedy indulgers who worked hard at outward appearance, but robbed the vulnerable to satisfy their selfish desires. As we look at this passage today, I want you to see, first of all, the truth hiders in verses 27 and 28, and then the prophet killers in 29 through 32, and then a summary statement from the true prophet, Jesus, in verses 33 to 36. So first of all, the truth hiders, verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, Jesus says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're, you're playing a role. You're acting. You're not real. You're like whitewashed tombs, he says, which are outwardly appearing beautiful to men, but inwardly are full of dead people's bones and all in uncleanness. Whitewashed tombs. Tombs were places of defilement. Symbols of uncleanness. Decomposing bodies were inside. You don't want to go there. There was the stench of death. There was a fear of disease from decaying flesh. Numbers 19.16 said the person who touched a dead body was unclean. So it was customary to whitewash tombs in the month Adar just before Passover on the 15th of that month. So that the many pilgrims who were coming into Jerusalem wouldn't actually touch these tombs. Contract ceremonial uncleanness. They were whitened with either chalk or lime. And these were not huge stone tombs. These, many times someone would die in the middle of a field and they would bury them right there. These were the roadside tombs that someone could inadvertently step on and become clean, unclean. Jesus says in verse 28, so just like these, these tombs that kind of have a, a, a neon sign on them saying, don't step on this, just like that, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What he is telling them is that they defiled others that they came in contact with. They contaminated other people spiritually just like dead people's bones did in that day bible tells us the bad company corrupts good morals so it's no surprise that they would contaminate but they were pretending to be righteous they ignored the truth about themselves they refused to realize that they actually contaminated people it's like when someone sneezes on you and doesn't cover their mouth People were being contaminated spiritually by them with their twisted brand of quasi-religiosity devoid of a heart for God. They didn't love God. They made people spiritually sick, not healthy. I came back a little bit sick from our trip. I I, I flew 22,000 miles with people that were hacking and coughing and sneezing. Then I went straight to a conference with 4,000 people that were doing the same thing. There were germs all around. 
They made people spiritually sick, not healthy, and they covered up their deadness. Just like you would put chalk over a grave. They were dead inside. I've told you before that these woes are in contrast to the blessings of the Beatitudes. They were dead inside as opposed to being pure in heart. Jesus said the pure in heart would see God. These would not. Luke eleven forty four. Jesus said, You are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without even knowing it. Now back in verse 25 of this chapter, he said that they were full of robbery and self-indulgence. Those were actions that they engaged in that made it very clear that what they were saying wasn't really true. But here in verse 28, he says they were full of hypocrisy, which wasn't a new word. But then he says lawlessness, which shows a lack of authority, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Those who prided themselves in the law were being condemned for not being under control of the law. Galatians made it very clear that the law was a tutor to lead us to Christ, to show us that we could not have our own righteousness, that we couldn't work our way to God. They missed that point. They were religiously hyper-disciplined, but they were ignorant of the purpose and function of the law that God had given, which was to be that tutor to show them their need for Jesus. They should have received the truth. They should have loved truth. They hated it. As 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says, they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Just like 1 Corinthians 13.6 says, that love doesn't rejoice in wrong, but rejoices in the truth. They didn't. As I've been saying through this series, that, I, I, that we, it's so easy for us to say, wow, they were so bad. And it's a good thing we're not like them. But that would be a very pharisaical way of looking at it. We must guard ourselves against this error that they engaged in. You know, truth-hiders are not truth-lovers. Truth-hiders are those who, who relate to themselves and others more in, in relation to their old life than their new life in Christ. People that, that still hold people to things and engage in destructive, really, doctrines of demons. Look at me at 1 Timothy 4. First Timothy 4, 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says, that in later times some will depart from the faith. So they were there. They were in the fold. They were with the body. They were in the community. And they will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose conscience is seared. Truth hiders are those who are obsessed with how they look and what kind of money they make and who they win over. Truth hiders are those who switch off their faith whenever it's not comfortable or convenient. 
like Monday morning. Just like flipping a switch. I'm living my Christian life. Now I'm not. Truth hiders think that engaging in religious self-denial will earn them favor with God. When Jesus said, what do you want to do to do the works of God? Believe in the one whom he sent. That's Jesus Christ. Truth hiders are no longer suspicious or guarded of the blatant idolatry that is paraded in front of our eyes in, on TV, in movies. It is uh, assaulting our ears in the lyrics of songs. And most importantly, it, it is attacking our hearts in the depths of our desires. There are infectious diseases of the mind that are running rampant and unchecked. And truth hiders don't repent. They, they stay hardened to God. While we were in South Africa, one of the jobs that, that uh, a few of us had was to take out a tree at the, at the Mufamuzi baby home. And it was a big tree blocking a, a driveway. And we got that thing down in like five minutes. Down to the stump that was about three feet tall and three feet wide. It was a big stump. We were out there under the hot African sun for hours upon hours and it didn't look like it, we made a dent. It, it actually looked like it was getting bigger. That tree stump was like sin. We couldn't get it out. We were wailing away on it and we couldn't do it. We even broke a, a, a chainsaw um, chain, a chain in the process. It was a mean tree stump. Before Titus could set things in order within the church, as Paul had instructed him, he had to deal with contamination in the church. Go with me to Titus chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 10, we read that there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, who must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, Paul says, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled, contaminated. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We must be lovers of the truth, not ones who hide it. As someone has said, masquerading as a normal person day after day is exhausting. Many of us are masquerading as normal people day after day, and we are plain worn out. Only Jesus can bring that cleansing. Like freedom from flying or any other fear, 
We've got to break free. Walk by faith. Bask in truth. Let that truth wash over your soul. As Ephesians 5.26 says, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Scribes and the Pharisees had bad theology. I know a lot of Christians who have really good theology, but it stays in their head. Good theology, the truth of God, must lead to doxology, praise to God, but then it must get into your life. It must lead to biography. Where there is a life changed by God as a living example of the gospel of the grace of God in Christ and its power. Lover of truth. Next, I want you to see the prophet killers, verses 29 through 32. Again, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say that you wouldn't have killed them. Erecting monuments to, gro- to mark graves of Israel's heroes may have been initiated by Herod the Great who built a monument at David's tomb. And they insisted, the scribes and the Pharisees insisted, and really the whole nation of Israel insisted that they didn't agree with those who killed the prophets, but really they were in league with them. They were condemning themselves. It was a foolish boast they made. Kind of like Christians who say, They hear of Peter denying Jesus and they think, well, Peter was weak. I would never have done that. Oh, yes, you would have. Every one of us would have done worse. Given the opportunity for denying Christ, most of us would be cowards compared to Peter. Jesus says in verse 32, fill up. Fill up the measure of of your fathers. What does that mean? Fill up the measure of your fathers. Fill up literally means to perform. Jesus is basically saying to them, you go ahead and do with your hands what you have cherished in your heart. You've been plotting to kill me. Just go for it. Make my day. We know by in John Seven and other places that they tried to kill Jesus. They were plotting to kill Jesus. It wasn't a new idea that Judas brought to them. Like the parable of the tenants in Matthew 21, they were just as guilty of killing God's prophets as their fathers, as their forefathers. These prophet killers rejected God's message through his son. It's the ultimate sin. They were in the process of killing the prophet, Jesus. They suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, as Romans 1 says. They were haters, not followers of Christ. Just like in Titus 1, they professed to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. They claimed to know Him, but by their actions they betrayed their hearts. You know, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe Him before the cross. His own brothers They came around. 
Hope for all who seem to be a bit slow and not get it and seem to be a bit lost and a bit blind because they are. Prophet killers are those who depart from the faith once for all delivered to the saints. As Jude says, Jude, half-brother of Jesus. In Jude, verses 1 through 4, we read these words. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I was also very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Because certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. James got it. James chapter 2. Very famous passage where he's talking about faith without works is dead. He's really pointing to a person who says one thing, but there's another reality going on in their heart. He says, what good is it, my brothers, If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? Just as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Brothers of Jesus, like Jude and James, got it. But prophet killers add to or subtract from what God has revealed in his word. Prophet killers depend on religious formalism, wearing the costume of godliness, but no spiritual life exists. They're just going through the motions without the Holy Spirit's power. They have that appearance of godliness, but they've denied its power. Prophet killers deny the only Savior. The Bible tells us that every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 1 John 4 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Just as no one can say Jesus is Lord and mean it except by the Holy Spirit. Followers of Christ are not like prophet killers. Followers of Christ operate in the truth. And they associate closely with people of the truth. Just like 1 Corinthians 5 instructs us. A lot of times Christians will say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be separate. I'm going to be holy. I'm not going to associate with ungodly people. And what happens is they hang around only Christians. Here's what Paul said about that. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, and swindlers, or idolaters. Since then you need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, 
who is guilty of sexual morality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. He says, purge the evil person from among you. Followers of Christ operate in truth, associating closely with people of the truth. That's why we're big about church membership here at Grace. I know we don't talk about it every week. I know it doesn't come up every week, and I know we're not forcing people to become members. But you know what church membership is? It's, it's you committing your discipleship to a local body of believers. And it's a local body of believers committing to your discipleship. Once you come to faith in Christ, it's all about following Jesus. But it seems to be very evident all across Christendom that a lot of people think you just get in the door by saying a prayer and then just do whatever you want. That's not discipleship. That's not even salvation. That's not even being justified by the grace of God. That's turning the grace of God into licentiousness and saying we can do whatever we want. God will forgive me. The Bible says don't, don't sin so that grace might increase. That's, that's a foolish thought. We've got to be committed to discipleship and, 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 and say let's, what does really a follower of Jesus do? How do we find out what a follower of Jesus does? From the Bible. What does the Bible say a follower of Jesus does? How does the gospel of the grace of God in Christ transform a person who was dead in sin and make them alive and a lover of the truth? How does the gospel transform every situation of life? Biola University is, it has a campaign right now. That you'll see billboards all over uh, Southern California and it says, Think biblically about everything. That's what, that's what believers need to do. What does the Bible say, and how does the gospel transform this situation that I am in? Is a marriage problem? Problem with your kids? A work issue? A relational issue? A, something just deep down in your heart that keeps getting triggered and messing you up and contaminating things. How does the gospel transform that? Follower of Christ. Operate in the truth. Now, let me give you a closing summary statement from Jesus. We've seen the truth hiders, we've seen the prophet killers, but now I want you to see a summary statement from the true prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, in verses 33 to 36. Now he starts off really awesome. This is awesome. You serpents! It's never a good thing, okay? Never a good thing. And then he says, you brood of vipers, you offspring of snakes, poisonous ones. This is bad. Okay, now, if you didn't think it was bad already, he's calling them hypocrites and, and blind guides and all these things. Now he's calling them serpents and broods of vipers. Yeah, this is bad. And he says this. How do you think you are going to escape hell? Now, there are people like Rob Bell, and I think he's, um, he's apostate because he says that there really isn't that... Uh, like real hell oh yes there is the bible says that that fire of hell is unquenchable now maybe he'll repent he's still alive there's time for him right is there hope for someone who has who has spurned the word of god and gone with their own mind yes if they're still alive 
Like every one of us, there's hope for us. You brood of vipers, how will you escape hell? Then he says, I'm going to send you prophets. I'm going to send you wise men. I'm going to send you scribes. We'll, we'll, we'll just test you out on this. Now they're going to kill Jesus. And what else would they do? They would kill Stephen. Stone him to death for preaching the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. They would kill James. Herod killed James with the sword. He, he, the Bible tells us he laid violent hands on the church. So Jesus is telling them how they will be obliterated in the fire of hell. Very strong word. The strongest word of condemnation that could come from Jesus. And by the way, this is a summary statement of all seven woes. The reason why all the woes don't have a summary statement attached to them is because this is it. This is the trailer. This is the, this is the final word from Jesus on these woes. The same consequence, same outcome for each one. Just like the Beatitudes describe a follower of Jesus, a Christian, the woes are pronouncing judgment on those who would reject Christ. And so, if they do not repent, they will spend eternity in hell. Now, maybe Jesus was alluding to Psalm 58 which told of lies that were told to the people that poisoned their own hearts. Because them offspring of vipers, born of poisonous snakes, and basically he says you can't escape. You painted yourself in the corner. You are not getting out. There's no escape from the consequences of rejecting the only Savior, rejecting the truth. You're going to go to a place of burning destruction. You're going to go to hell. It's a Greek word, Gehenna. Valley of the sons of Hinnom. A place of unspeakable atrocity where people burned their own children in the fire. Became known as a place of unquenchable fire. And then Jesus says, I'm going to send you prophets and wise men and scribes. And what will you do? You will kill some. You will crucify them. You will flog others, whip them and beat them. And you will persecute others. You'll hunt them down. You'll pursue them. So that, he says, verse 35, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed ever. From the first Abel to Zechariah. All the righteous murdered in the Old Testament. So they killed Stephen. They would kill Stephen. Stone him. Kill James with the sword. And then persecute Paul. Second Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 24. Here's what Paul said about his, his life as a new believer. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's where they take rocks and try to kill you with them. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea 
on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Then Jesus says they're going to persecute you from town to town. That's what happened. You can, you can trace it uh, in the book of Acts. From the book of Acts, uh, chapter 8, verse on, onward. Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth and Jerusalem and Caesarea. They chased them down from town to town. So Jesus says in verse 36... Amen. That's what that word truly means. Amen. This is how it's going to be. All these things will come on this generation. He is predicting the fall of Jerusalem. He is predicting the judgment on the nation. Judge for her rejection of her Messiah. Just like 2 Peter says, then they persist in sin, they heap wrath upon themselves. Now, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to those who would be persecuted, Blessed are you, verse 10, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's only one way of escape. Jesus said, how will you escape hell? There's only one way out. Only one escape hatch. And by the way, we have to, we have to warn people of hell. We have, to, we have to point people to heaven. We have to let them know about life and death and blessing and curse and and. and, and, and Call them to choose life, as Deuteronomy 29 says. But only in Jesus can you be washed of contaminating influences. Only in Jesus can you be freed from deceptive lies. Only in Jesus can you be assured of your standing with God. God wants us to be lovers of truth. Followers of Christ. Who in everything ask, what does God's word say about this? And how does the gospel transform this? God wants us to live in the truth and not just live in it, but live to share it. Sharing health, not contamination. Beautiful feet of those who bring good news. But standing in our way is a huge roadblock, a huge barrier, a a huge hurdle, a huge mountain of sin. And it's the sticky web of hypocrisy that we all get caught up in. Falsehood and lies. It is so easy to reject the clear word of God for our own way. In the heat of the moment or whether we plan it out. We mess ourselves and others up in the process. Most believers feel like they take one step forward and two steps back. A lot of believers feel defeated in this realm. Discouraged, disillusioned. But Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
To be truth lovers and Christ followers, we must rightly understand God's word and purpose for us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says that Jesus died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. How does God transform dead enemies of the cross into living lovers of the truth? By the grace-filled gospel power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you predestined our destiny and acted on our behalf to secure it and draw us to yourself and give us right standing with you and are at work in us to make us like Christ and will take us home to be with you forever. That's true of every person who has come to faith in Christ. I pray, Lord, for anyone who does not know you, who doesn't know their destiny, who isn't secure in you, who doesn't have right standing with you, who doesn't have you at work in them, who doesn't have a home in heaven forever. Lord, we read of of those who shed the righteous blood of the prophets, and we thank you that you shed your righteous blood for us. That Jesus went to the grave, the tomb, for our truth-hiding and prophet-killing sins. But that he did not suffer decay, did not stay dead. Death could not keep him down. He rose to new life. And thank you, Lord, that Christ's finished work paves the way for our love of the truth and our following of the Savior. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.